0: do does america i am fascinated by the approach of the biden administration and look when you're in a position like this you do a lot of dumb crazy silly things so it it makes for a really fascinating time to cover the country crappy time to live in it but a fun time to cover it one of the things that's really been interesting to me is this thing they're doing with gas prices Obviously, if you're a president of the United States, gas prices are going through the roof. You're kind of torturing all your citizens with all this unneeded inflation and all these problems with energy. You have to come up with something to say. And so what they've said basically is we're not doing anything to the oil companies. Everything's totally fine. We're just letting them do what they're doing. They're being greedy. We're not doing anything to thwart them whatsoever What's fascinating to me about that in particular is like I have a memory longer than a week. And I remember when they ran for president, they ran a giant campaign almost wholly based on the idea that they were going to shut down the oil industry. Does anybody remember this? So I'm interested that they have this sort of two-path approach where they can go to their environmentalist supporters in the primary and say, hey, we hate the oil companies. We're going to shut them down. Everything we're doing is to move away from fossil fuels. And at the same time, they can tell the American people, what are you talking about? We've never done anything to stop. We we love oil companies. What are you saying? It's such a bizarre thing. Let me give you an example of how bad this has been for the Biden administration a little uh, then and now. Watch.
1: No more drilling on federal lands, no more drilling, including offshore, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period.
2: Since since Russia has amassed, uh, started amassing uh, troops on the border, we saw, a, we've seen a $2 uh, increase of gas prices. So we know where to put the blame on the war, but mm. uh, oil companies, they have oil refineries, they have responsibility too. So this is basically a, a bit of a, hey, we want, we want you to act, it's time to act, we have done our part with the strategic petroleum reserve Mm. we are we are calling on them to do the right thing to be patriots here uh, and not to use the war uh, as an excuse or as a as a reason uh to not put to not put out a production not to not do the capacity Mm. that is needed out there
0: she's good we should do an entire show just just about how good she is oh wait we already did that Uh, Well, we'll we'll do more. There's more to come on Corinne Jean-Pierre. In fact, here's another clip. Uh, The only person who ever seems to ask her a tough question is, of course, Peter Ducey of Fox News. And he decided to ask her about this little issue they're having when, you know, they've been talking about ending fossil fuels for so long. Is that still a focus of the administration? The president once said that he was going to end fossil fuel. Is that now off the table?
2: No, we are going to continue uh, to move forward with our uh, clean energy uh, proposal, our climate change uh, and, and so proposal. Is that the, is that the so
0: priority he, climate change I, I, over gas? Prices?
2: No, that's not what we're saying. We're what saying we're saying that president, we're saying the I'm answering half, I'm years, answering the question is his I'm answer. The question. Gas
0: prices or is it addressing climate change?
2: First of all, we—it's—you can do both at the same time. What we're trying to deal for, uh, what we're trying to uh, deal with right now, is how do we lower cost for American families? And one of the things that we are seeing currently right now with oil refineries is they are using this moment that there is a war in Ukraine to to actually make a profit. When they there are steps that they can take so that we can actually lower lower gases, low gas prices for families.
0: Uh, this is just I mean, she is terrible. Do you believe that half of that answer was red? Fascinating. Um, we just talked to you yesterday with Brian Dean Wright about how we're at between 94 and 98 percent when it comes to um, refinery capacity. We keep we've gone from 250, I think it was, to 124 refineries. We keep screwing with this whole process and then expect everything to go fine. And look, why would you build new facilities if you're the oil companies when everyone is telling you your industry is doomed? I mean, listen to John Kerry. Do we need to expand production? We know what prices are a function of supply and demand. Do we need to increase supply? Here's John Kerry.
1: And energy security worry is driving a lot of the thoughts now about, oh, we need more drilling of gas. We need more drilling of this. We need to go back to coal. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. And we have to prevent a false narrative from entering into this or,
0: again, uh, pun intended, we are cooked. again And they're in a tough spot here. I, I don't want to deny it. They're in a tough spot. They've told everybody, all their supporters, that climate change is the number one priority. You heard Corinne Jean-Pierre a second ago saying, no, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying it's a higher priority than gas prices. What do you mean? You've been saying it for years. It's been the focus of your entire campaign as you ran for president, and you've been focusing on it since you've become president. Uh, Here is uh, Gina McCarthy. She is uh, Biden's climate advisor talking about no more drilling.
1: President Biden remains absolutely committed absolutely. to not moving forward with with additional drilling on public lands. Ah. The challenge that we faced was that we had a court that ordered that um, a new lease to be done. The Department of Energy had no choice but to put it out. But they also find found ways to reduce the size of that and its impact. Ah. And we'll keep doing what we need to do to appeal those decisions and to make our case in a court.
0: I mean, do you hear this? Everybody when when they're off, when they're not on guard, when they're on MSNBC, they're saying we will do everything we can to stop these people. And when they're talking to the American people, they look them right in their eye and they say, we're not doing anything to affect your gas prices. It's all the Putin price hike, everybody. So is this a supply problem or is it a demand problem? And that's an interesting question. We know it's always one or the other. So let me look at this and and I could I could run these numbers from the COVID year and it would be I think it would look really bad for the Biden administration, Uh, but it would be a little unfair. You know, we know that the numbers were screwed up uh, when it came to COVID. Everybody was home. People were driving less, all those things. So I won't do that. Let's go back to 2019. And we'll look at it from 2019 to 2021. So is this a a supply problem or a demand problem? Well, demand, you'd think if it's a demand problem, demand has skyrocketed, right? That's what you'd have to think to think it's a demand problem. Well, no, actually, demand is down, down 3.7 percent. So if demand is down, it's not a demand problem. So maybe it's a supply problem. Is it a supply problem? Could it possibly be related to a supply issue over the past couple of years? And of course, supply is also down. So if if it is a supply problem, you'd expect that number to be lower, which, of course, it is down by two point one percent. Our supply is down. And so this is a big factor to why prices are going higher we are it's not that demand is exploding yes it's exploding out of the covid year but it's not exploding from uh from normal period to normal period if you will Uh, it's the supply that is going down and that's causing a big part of the problem now of course it's not to say that the, the war in Ukraine is not a factor. There are other factors to this. But we are not helping ourselves. Again, your job as president is not to av- just to avoid hurting us. It's supposed to be to help us. And they're doing everything they can to do the opposite right now, as they just explained to you. Um, however, then they come to the American people and they say, you know what? This president is absolutely focused on bringing your gas prices down. Watch
2: am
1: I comfortable? I mean I certainly support the president and his uh, national security team. Hmm. Uh, no one knows more about you know national affairs uh, than President Biden oh, shut up. And I would say that he is very serious is when he? the president when he says mm-hmm. he's going to use every arrow in his quiver Everyone. in order to bring down gas prices for Americans.
0: Every arrow in his quiver, not increasing supply, which would be the main arrow in your quiver you'd want to address in a situation like this, as we've just shown you. But instead, they're going after other things. What are the other things they can do? Well, there are some things they can do, like, for example, um, harass oil companies.
1: In the letter from the president to the oil
2: refinery, the refiners, he said they need to work with the administration to bring about a near term solution. Since since Russia has amassed and uh, started amassing uh, troops on the border, we saw a, we've seen a two dollar uh, increase mm. of gas prices. So we know where to put the blame on the war. But oh. uh, oil companies, they have oil refineries, they have responsibility too. So this is basically okay, stop, because a, a we,
0: we showed you that whole clip before. But I wanted you to focus on that one part there. This is kind of a new thing. I guess it's not completely new, but it's, it's something they've tried recently, which is not to say that the prices went up at the beginning of the war. No, no. It's when they started amassing troops on the border. So that's a different timeline. You notice they're getting a few more months of the rise out of this. Now, of course, prices were rising before that, too. Uh, here's a Corinne Jean Pierre tweeting about this a few months ago. She said this chart illustrates the impact of Putin's price hike on Americans. Oil prices have risen since the beginning of this year at the same time as military uh, buildup from Putin um, and his threats and then unprovoked further invasion of Ukraine. That's higher gas prices up more than 75 cents. And they included this chart from the Council of Economic Advisors. And you do see a big, you know, spike there in oil prices. Now, Obviously, like they prices had been going up before that and actually came down after they started uh, putting troops on the border initially. And that really started in November of twenty twenty one. So they came down. Then they started rising a little bit, but they had already gone up quite a bit from the beginning. I want you to look at that spike at the end of this graph and if for podcast listeners it's you know it's a pretty noticeable spike right at the end of this graph but it's also something we included in our previous chart that we showed you because what we do on this program is show you charts that spike is the one noted here as the Putin price spike uh hike or whatever it is so you see that, yes, there was a spike there when the war began. They're trying to take advantage of, of a longer-term period and more of the rise so they don't get blamed for as much. But this has been going up this way for a long, long time. And the Putin price hike, while it is a factor, I'm not denying that it is. This has not been good for the global community, the global economy. But that is not what is to blame from the beginning here. The thing is, and as I mentioned earlier, when you're president of the United States... Your goal is just it's not just to stop hurting people, it's to help them. So when you have increasing supply, when you take your energy supply seriously, when something that you can't control like I don't know, one giant country invading another country happens and it disrupts supply, you can handle it. You are in control of the situation. You're not held at gunpoint by Vladimir Putin. You instead are able to handle the problem. So, yes, Vladimir Putin and his invasion is a problem here, and it's made this worse. But it was already going on. And now, because of your actions, you have not been able to deal with it. Um, ExxonMobil has replied, by the way, to the harassment they've been receiving. And they say, actually, we've been investing one hundred and eighteen billion dollars on new oil and gas supplies over the past five years compared to a net income of only fifty five billion dollars. They also say they have been investing even during the pandemic when they lost more than $20 billion and they had to borrow more than $30 billion to maintain investment and increase capacity to be ready for a post-pandemic demand. They've done a lot, but they've been the enemy at every stage of this. Um, how about refining capacity? We know we've gone, we've basically been cut in half. When people try to build new refineries, the government blocks them over and over again. The Institute for Energy Research uh, said in a recent article, new refineries are unlikely to be built in the United States due to daunting environmental standards and policies that the Biden administration has been implementing to reduce petroleum product consumption in the future and on and on and on. So what have they done? They've tried to harass oil companies and lie to the American people so they can shift blame that direction. And then they've also decided to work on uh, emptying our strategic oil reserves. Now, this is something that's supposed to be for a real emergency, not just the prices going up a little bit. They've decided to address this. And so what they would tell you is that what you're seeing now with five dollars plus per gallon on average in the United States is actually a factor of their brilliant policies, bringing it down from some theoretical higher level than that. And that has been a massive cost to our strategic oil reserve. I don't know that you've seen this chart yet, but I want you to look at it because it's shocking. Normally, we are up around 750 million barrels of oil in our strategic oil reserves and we have seen a dramatic straight down line that has emptied it to less than half its capacity already and we're still at over $5 a gallon. This thing is going to be empty in a month at this pace and has given you absolutely no noticeable benefit whatsoever. How do you feel about that? Did you know that we've emptied out more than half of our strategic oil reserves to to what Seemingly no benefit whatsoever. And we're at the worst position we've ever been at in American history when it comes to gas prices. Uh, and uh, we look to the future to see how much worse it will get. And look, the government and the Biden administration has been doing stuff over and over and over again. They bragged about it during the campaign, as we showed you. And then they got into office And did it, this is from an uh, an executive uh, order from the first week or so of the president's administration. This order directs the Secretary of the Interior to pause on entering into new oil and gas leases on public lands or offshore waters. To the extent possible, launch a rigorous review of all existing leasing and permitting practices related to fossil fuel development on public lands and waters. Uh, He made promises about this stuff all throughout the campaign. And it's interesting to look back at those promises now because they were fact-checked and looked at, shown as promises kept, promises in progress. Uh, his moves included making industry more energy efficient and putting the brakes on drilling and pipeline projects, according to PolitiFact. How about the Washington Post, who talked about uh, real problems, um, as, uh, as, as the administration saw it, with global warming? And they said, well, what should we do about it? And I want to make this clear. The president did a lot of things to restrict oil companies, but they didn't get everything done that they wanted to. Well, what did they want to get done? Do you remember all the conversation about Build Back Better? What was in that proposal that wound up not getting through? But this is what the the Biden administration wanted to do under the version of, of the Build Back Better Act that passed the House last month. New offshore drilling would be permanently prohibited in just a couple of areas you may have heard of, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and the Eastern Gulf of Mexico. Ever hear of those places before? They're kind of important when it comes to offshore drilling. Not sure if if you knew that. The House version of the bill would also repeal a provision in Republicans' 2017 tax law that opened up Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to onshore oil and gas drilling. And I take you back again, One more time to this moderate guy and his moderate campaign he ran for president, I'll take you back to when he was asked about the Green New Deal by Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper, quote, are you a firm supporter of the Green New Deal or do you think it's too much or goes too far? Joe Biden's response, quote, oh, I don't think it's too much. He has his own plan that he wanted to push through, but he did not think even the craziness of the Green New Deal was too much. If he had gotten done the things he wanted to get done, you'd have $8 gas right now. And he's acting as if he's not part of the problem. He is the problem. It's a big, big day in the economy. Why? Because Joe Biden is thinking about making a decision on an issue and we got to say you thought he was too old and uh, you thought maybe his brain wasn't working all that well but he's thinking about making a decision on a gas tax holiday yes a gas tax holiday hmm what is a gas tax holiday well The Hill breaks it down for us. The current federal gas tax is about 18.4 cents per gallon, according to the uh, U.S. Energy Information Administration. The gas tax itself is imposed on those producing gasoline, which then impacts the prices we pay at the pump. Simply put, a federal gas tax holiday would temporarily suspend the 18.4 cent gas tax. It doesn't, however, mean you'll pay 18.4 cents less per gallon uh, at the pump, which is pretty exciting. Now, of course, I favor a gas tax holiday. I just think it should never end. It should be no taxes on gas. There's no reason to put another 18.4 cents per gallon. Plus, you're also paying a decent tax on the state level. You could probably knock up to maybe a buck off of these prices if you are in a high tax state. And it doesn't mean it instantly goes to you, but it probably, most of it probably will. Although there have been skeptics of gas tax holidays in the past, most of them hardcore conservatives who don't like Joe Biden, like Barack Obama, who said, we don't know that the oil companies will actually pass on the savings, Obama said at a speech in North Carolina in April 2008. So you're saving five percent in terms of the gas tax. It's not clear what uh, what would prevent the oil companies from just jacking up prices five percent. So you end up giving them more money and we've drained the highway trust fund. Now, this is the problem with Washington. We're facing a situation where oil prices could hit $200 a barrel. Oil companies like Shell and BP just reported record profits for the quarter, and we're arguing over a gimmick to save you half a tank of gas over the course of the entire summer so that everyone in Washington can pat themselves on the back and say they did something. Now, I don't normally agree with Barack Obama, but when he he indicates that he realizes that Joe Biden is, quote, the problem with Washington. I can't help but be on his side on that one, you know? The gas tax holiday is basically a gimmick. It is uh, maybe a little helpful to people. It shows you what the state of affairs should normally be. We shouldn't have to be paying high taxes on gas. And it would be nice if it just completely went away forever. That's not going to happen. This is just a little move to potentially save you a little bit of money in the very short term. And it's not going to solve the problem. Of course, the problem needs to be solved on the supply side, of course. And that means we have another possible proposal coming from the Biden administration that absolutely will of course address the demand side yet again of this equation. They want to t- they're talking about stimulus gas cards, which is sound I mean it sounds pretty great, right? You get a bunch of money on a gas card, you can spend it on gas, helps you cover that cost. Isn't that wonderful? Although it is kind of a strange thing coming from this particular administration, given the fact that they keep saying the gas companies are really, really greedy. And, of course, the problem we have is inflation. And the way we're addressing this issue is, of course, to spend a bunch more money and then spend that on $100 billion of gas cards, which will then be paid to the companies you're saying are so greedy. Not exactly sure how any of this works. And you know what? I'm not alone here. I don't think Biden knows it either. That's kind of the problem, uh, as they say. Now, of course, some people are pointing out, you know, the spending thing has been kind of the issue here. Right. You've been spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And now you want to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of more dollars seems to be the only solution to anything. CNBC had Cecilia Rouse on. She's the uh, chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. And they said, hey, you know, maybe spending money, does that seem a little tone deaf right about now? Is it possible, as Americans are feeling that pain, that that, that message is a little tone deaf and could have a really kind of negative impact in terms of consumer sentiment?
1: So I'm not sure which part is the tone deaf. We, the president is looking to Focusing
0: lower costs
2: for
1: important com- Go ahead. But he's focused on reducing costs for some of the most important items for Americans, reducing prescription costs, reducing costs for child care, helping people get back to work because they are able to balance responsibilities Mm. at home and at work. So these are the kinds of investments we need to make. They spend out over time. We know that this president is focused on reducing the deficit. Uh, this deficit is on track to be reduced by one point seven trillion dollars this year. That's Terrible more point. than happened under uh, President uh, President Trump. And no. so he w- understands the role that deficit plays also in, in, in reducing inflation. But we also have to make the kinds of investments to make sure that our economy continues to thrive as we get to the other side of this.
0: Now, of course, I, do I want to go on another rant about wha- how dumb of a point it is that they've reduced the deficit by $1.7 trillion? Sure, I do. I've done it on the show 10 times already, so I'm not going to do it again. But anyone who listens to the show or watches it probably is already hearing the, that monologue in their head already, so I will spare you this one time. And you might think, you might watch that, and you say, wow, that, uh, that, that Cecilia Rouse. Gives pretty crappy answers to pretty basic questions like that was a really terrible answer and a terrible defense of a bunch of bad policies. Granted, it's a difficult thing to do to come out and defend policies like Joe Biden's. But still, that was a pretty bad job. And at that point, I would note, why are you being racist? She happens to be the first African American to ever hold that position. Have you ever had a problem with a Democrat before this? No, you only don't like black Democrats. You only don't like a black economist. And that shows you're racist, you racist, racist racisty, racist. Remember that. By the way, here she is giving another crappy answer. Inflation has wiped out, obliterated really all of the wage gains since the, the start of the pandemic. So Americans are actually feeling feeling poor as as the price of goods goes up and their wages go down it feels like now's the time to just really focus on fighting inflation yet as recently as last week the build back better bill was still on the table Uh, is now the time for the administration to be pushing spending billions more or focusing on inflation
1: so the president is focused on inflation and in fact build back better is a long is is a, uh, a uh, long-run investment oh. so to increase the economic capacity so that mm-hmm. we're better able to address inflation oh, parts of build back right. better include addressing costs such as prescription drugs mm. it, inc- it includes making investments to make the transition to clean energy which we know we need to be making as well so that's not the kind of dollars that is stimulus oh. it's investment and it's the kinds of investments that we know actually pay for be- themselves over time, So that's smart economic policy right now. Uh, the president is doing trying to take the kinds of actions that would address gas prices in the more immediate term, while also making the kinds of investments we need. We know we need to, know, to make right. in order to make the transition to steady, sustainable growth that will benefit all Americans.
0: Don't worry about trying to improve. You're doing a great job. And you nailed that one. That was that was fantastic. Remember, guys, those aren't the kind of dollars that cause inflation. Other kinds of dollars cause inflation. There are dollars when you spend them that cause inflation and other dollars when you spend them that don't cause inflation, right? you know, you can just spend, why not? Why don't we spend all those dollars right now, then? I mean, what's the point? Why hold any of them back? We know you want $6 trillion for this crap. Why not 12? Why not $50 trillion? Only of those kind of dollars that don't cause inflation, though. Use those dollars. When you get the big pile of them, make sure you pick the one from the left pile, which is the pile that doesn't cause inflation, not from the other pile, because those might just cause inflation. I guess the problem over the past couple of years is we've been spending all of them out of the wrong pile. We keep spending the dollars that cause the inflation instead of the dollars that don't cause the inflation. Use the different kind of dollars. Easy peasy. By the way, did I mention she's the first African American to ever hold that job? And if you thought that was a terrible, crappy answer that she was fumbling through, almost like a combination of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I don't know. Could she herself come up with a veep thoughts? Probably so. But that being said, she's the first African-American to ever do that job. And if you are critical of her in any way, you're in the KKK, all right? You're an alt-right KKK member. Get your little uh, torch, your tiki torch out and walk in Charlottesville because that's who you are. I hope you understand it. Now, Joe Biden, you might think we haven't heard much from Joe Biden today. What is the interesting thing he has to say about all of this? There's a lot of people talking about a potential infl- uh, a recession. And anytime a president has to oversee a recession, we see, a, you know, a really bad results. I mean, if you remember George H.W. Bush had an 80% approval rating a year before his uh, re-election attempt and he lost partially because of Ross Perot, but also because he went into a very, very minor inflation, or excuse me, recession, and uh, that turned his election prospects around. So let's ask Joe what he thinks about the upcoming re- recession.
3: I'm not the I probably, even
2: more likely than ever.
1: Not the majority of them aren't saying that. Come on, don't make things up, okay? Now you sound like <laughs> a Republican politician. I'm um, joking, that was a joke. All kidding aside, no, I don't think it is. I was uh yep. talking
0: to Larry Summers this morning, think, and uh, there's nothing inevitable about a recession. <laughs> I don't want to put too fine a point on this, okay? But someone asked him, Hey, looks like there might be a recession, and he says, That's absolutely wrong. Not, not the majority of people are saying that. Uh, you sound like a Republican politician when you say like that, just making stuff up. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. So he's gone through like 12 different layers of bizarre comments here, but then he has to come up with one name, one person just name one person who says there isn't going to be a recession. That's all he has to do. He's saying, he doesn't have to come up with all the people who are saying that. He just has to come up with one person who is an economist and is saying, ah, it's not going to be a recession to, to bolster his point that not everybody is saying that. And the name he comes up with is Larry Summers. Let me give you Larry Summers' commentary on recessions from 48 hours earlier. My best guess is that a recession is ahead. <laughs> Based that on the fact that we haven't had a situation like the present with inflation above four and unemployment below four
1: without a recession following within a year or two. And so I think the likelihood
0: is that in order to do what's necessary to stop inflation, the Fed is going to raise interest rates enough that the economy will slip into recession. And I think that that view, which was not a common view a couple months ago, yeah. is now the view of a number of statistical models and the view of a range of uh, forecasters Literally, he could have said anyone, anyone. He could have said Bob Fnarkensen. and people wouldn't have checked it because it's the media. No one would have known. The only guy he can't say in that spot is Larry Summers. Why? Because, first of all, he's he you you mentioned you talked to him in the morning when two days earlier he was saying on national television. Yeah, there's going to be a recession. Uh, It's coming. And he not only cites him, but then Larry Summers says it's the overwhelming majority of opinion of economists. So not only is he cite, does he cite the one guy he can't cite, but then that guy was on television completely refuting his point from just two days earlier. He, it is a master class in failure, this guy, I swear it. I, again, I've said this before, and I will say it a hundred more times over the next couple of years. I didn't have high hopes for a Biden presidency. I thought he would be a bad president. I thought he'd be incompetent. I thought he was not able to speak. Yet every single day he proves me wrong. He's much, much worse than I could have ever imagined. It's incredible. By the way, uh, we talked about the, the inflation. How does that inflation happen? Trillions and trillions of dollars being spent. First, during the Trump administration with widespread approval by both sides of the aisle and then into the Biden administration where he dumped another two trillion dollars on top of it, which caused inflation. One way we know it caused inflation is that Larry Summers also said that. He was the guy warning everybody that there's going to be a bunch of inflation if you spend another $2 trillion. And we should note that after that $2 trillion was spent, then there was a bipartisan trillion dollars that was also spent on infrastructure. If you think we're forgetting about that, Republicans, we're not. In fact, most of this spending was done by the approval of various Republicans, so it's not just the Democrats for this. However, Joe Biden and his policies have made this much, 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 much worse, and they're responsible for the vast majority of this problem, and that is important. So now, we've given all of this money to people, and now, then, we've inflated the economy so that that money is worth less and less. One economist decided to uh, look at this, and he, he tweeted this. I thought this was pretty interesting. A family of four received $10,400 in economic impact payments. It does include a UI, student loan pause, et cetera. JEC Republicans estimate typical family has paid four dollars to $6,000 more due to inflation. This is all inflation, not just incremental. So it will be another 10 to 12 months. 10 to 12 months for what? 10 to 12 months until we wipe out all of the free money that we gave to people. All of the free money that we gave to people gone because of inflation within two years of signing that last bill. Do you know how much what could you do with a couple trillion dollars? Do you think you can maybe not blow it up in a couple of years? Well, you're different than the president then. And I don't know, maybe you can even balance yourself on a bicycle like there's all sorts of differences between you and him. And I don't know. I feel like I'd rather have you. I don't know who you are, to be clear. I don't know who you are. Okay, you might be watching the show and you say, I know who I am and I know who you are, but I'm here, I can't see you. I'm just sitting here talking to a camera in a room almost by myself. I'm just blabbing and ranting and I don't know if anybody's out there watching, but whoever you are, I'd rather have you as president. I don't, you have no qualifications. What if you say, I don't even know anything about these issues. I'm watching your show so I can learn from you because you seem like you can get through a full sentence without stumbling or falling over. And you know what? Anybody who can get through a full sentence without stumbling or falling over would be a better president than this guy. He is a complete catastrophe in every single aspect. The things that he brags about are failures. He tries to cite one economist who agrees with him and he picks the guy who not only warned about the inflation in advance, but then also just said, we're going into a recession. He is a walking and often falling over catastrophe. I want to bring in Alex Epstein. He's the founder and CEO of the Center for Industrial Progress and the author of the new book, Fossil Future Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. It's available now. Be sure to grab a copy wherever you get your books. Alex, how's it going? It's going well. Good to see you, Stu. Good to see you. I want to have you on for an extended interview uh, soon because when I get the chance to go through the whole book, or the news cycle and stuff, I haven't even got into it yet, and I'm dying to read this book. It's, it's been
3: yeah, I'm really dying to do that. I think I think we'll have a really good discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean it's been several years in the making, and we've talked about the preview here uh, a couple of times, and I want to really go in depth on this, but I want to kind of get you in here first of all to let people know that the book is out, that they can get it, and uh, and and kind of give you a preview of the book, and also go through a couple of really big stories going on that are hitting people really hard right now. Uh, The energy world is really in focus at this exact moment. Yeah,
3: which is a good, it's a good thing. I mean, I'm glad I finally finished the book (laughs) because it's really needed right now.
0: It really is. So let's start with gas prices because, you know, we are told that the reason why gas prices are so high is the Putin price hike. Uh, Is that true? And what's the real, what's the real story if not?
3: Well, we had rising gasoline prices well before the invasion which is why everyone was complaining was they were offering a whole bunch of other excuses so it's just been the endless excuse train so i mean the putin thing is is obviously a significant variable uh, but you've had what is it price gouging uh, (laughs) companies are like making business decisions to have windfall profits it's just everything but the obvious which is that there is a global popular movement or popular among governments anyway to restrict fossil fuel investment fossil fuel production fossil fuel transportation, i.e. fossil fuel supply. What happens when you artificially restrict the supply of something and you don't have a viable replacement? Prices go up, it's supply and demand. So it's very simple, but everyone who's responsible for this wants all of these complex or just totally unrelated explanations, pseudo explanations, because they would have to admit responsibility and they would have to admit that people like me are being vindicated.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, watching your work all of these years, Alex. I mean, I know the answer to a lot of these questions that, you know, look, the, the enemy should not be fossil fuels. But that what you said of restrict all these things they've done to restrict supply. It, it's true, but it was also there. They were advertising that in the campaign. Yeah. This was what they were promising to bring to America. And now that prices are out of control, all of a sudden they're saying they haven't done anything to restrict supply.
3: Yeah, I mean, we had a president or candidate running on, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, right? That wasn't so ambiguous. And he's threatening (laughs) to throw executives in jail, and he talks about no more drilling. And I think, what would you conclude if you're the industry? Has Biden done anything or has the global anti-fossil fuel movement done anything to to indicate that they're actually repenting and now they have a long-term commitment to supporting the freedom to pursue fossil fuels and profit from fossil fuels? Because that's what's necessary to encourage more investment and in production. You need the freedom to do it and to profit from it. And there's been no indication of that at all. There's just been an indication that these guys don't like low polls. So what company that has any responsibility or intelligence is gonna go out of their way to drill more knowing that they're threatened to help Biden's poll numbers?
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like we keep seeing both sides of these arguments over and over again. They, they, They keep claiming, like for example, they keep saying, um, that the, one of the big problems is that oil companies are super duper greedy. They just want more money. Mm-hmm. They, all they want to do is pollute the earth with as much oil as they can to make as much money as it can. At the same time, we're told that they've got 9,000 leases that they could access and be pumping oil like crazy to make more money, but they don't want to do it for some strange reason. Can you, can you square that circle at all?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, companies want to do things that they expect to be profitable. It's very, very simple. So, again, this is a very simple issue, and they're just dragging out all of these things people don't understand to um, to make it complex. At, at, at my website, my Substack, alexepstein.substack.com, I have something about the Democrats' denial, and it goes into like the six different fallacies. So the leases, one is the fact that you have a lease doesn't mean that you regard it as economically viable for a number of reasons. The government's role is to keep us free so that as many leases as possible are economically viable, whereas when you have a government that's threatening everyone, there are going to be fewer economically viable leases. So they just have to admit this fundamental that they're restricting investment production and transportation, and they're threatening the future. So that needs to change. And I was on Kudlow earlier, and people think this is controversial, but we need to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, and everyone needs to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. I mean, that's, that's the key thing. How is the fossil fuel industry going to produce more if we have this global commitment to rapidly destroying that industry?
0: Mm. Um, one of the things we're also hearing right now is you shouldn't, you know, the gas prices, yeah, they're high, but that's why you should go out and get an electric car. That'll solve this problem. I mean, it sounds a a bit like the legend of let them eat cake, but they they want this to be the idea that you could just solve this problem forever by going out and getting a Tesla. What state are you in, Stu? I'm in Texas. Texas.
3: I'm in California. Have we had any electric? Has electricity been a problem-free zone <laughs> in either of our states in recent memory? So what's going to happen? There are many objections to this whole thing, but what's going to happen if we mandate an in- enormous increase in electricity consumption when we are already having trouble meeting existing demand. And is anyone aware of what's happened to coal prices and natural gas prices? Where does the electricity come from? It doesn't just come from the plug. And it doesn't come mostly from solar and wind, because those depend on having a totally reliable backup, basically 100% of the time. So this is just a totally ignorant thing. And it is also let let them eat cake, right? Because it's not saying, hey, we've made EVs so cheap. A lot of those claims are, have just kept coming false, despite... You know, it's despite these predictions, it's just it's not the most cost effective thing for most people. And they're saying, well, we'll just keep having policies that will make gasoline so expensive that eventually you'll have to make this terrible choice between something you can't afford and something else you can't afford.
0: Mm. I know, uh, Alex, you spent a bunch of time talking about how we shouldn't be thinking about the environment as a a good for the environment, bad for the environment sort of like a decision. We we should be thinking about human beings and how they are best served. But is there even an argument just from the environmental standpoint? on electric cars, uh, obviously going, you know, making them, the production of electric cars seems to be very taxing on natural resources. And, uh, you know, maybe if you run them for a couple hundred thousand miles, you start breaking even, but I don't even, it doesn't seem like the math is even there on electric cars yet.
3: I, I don't ever, for. You know, I like what you said. I don't I don't talk about things in terms of the environment, protecting the environment, because that, that makes our environment something above us mm. versus a means to us flourishing. So I think about, you know, I want the earth to be a good human environment. And from that perspective, you do need to think about resource constraints. And the main way to figure those out is to leave people free. But we're seeing already lithium prices skyrocketing. Uh, we're seeing that, you know, when you're talking about 100, 1,000 fold increases in Lithium production and all of these different elements, you have to question how well are those going to scale? And you don't know that they're going to scale. And you have all these people who are claiming that, oh, yeah, it's going to be so easy to do this. And they haven't thought it through at all. And they don't really care because what they're focused on is how do we eliminate fossil fuels, but also how do we eliminate hydro and eliminating nuclear? And they're hostile to mining. Right? So how is this amazing amount of mining gonna occur with an anti-mining movement? This is why in, in Fossil Future in chapter one, I talk about how it's not just a hostility toward fossil fuels, it's a hostility toward all forms of cost-effective energy and the productive processes. And what that points to, which I reveal in chapter three, is it's really about a hostility toward human impact and a view that our goal should be to eliminate our impact on Earth versus advance human flourishing on Earth.
0: Uh, you mentioned too that the best way to get to these ends is for people to be able to make their own decisions, right? And, and, and be able to look for the, the, the best possible tools to, to help human beings flourish. That's usually what people will do. They're gonna wanna chase things that improve their lives the most. There is a, a big case going on with the Supreme Court, it didn't come out today, but they're expected here in the next couple of weeks, where they're talking about the ability for the U.S. government to regulate power plants. And this has been something that the government has tried to do for a long time. They, they want to be able to do this outside of even Congress. They want the EPA and other agencies to, to, to handle this stuff so that you know, Congress people don't have their fingerprints on it and they can, have it, you know, they can do it without any of the repercussions of the higher energy costs. Do you have any idea how this thing is going to turn out and what kind of impact will it have?
3: I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I know how I hope it turns out. <laughs> I mean, these, these executive orders, and this is not, there's no administration recently that I think has been totally innocent in this regard, but the ability to just make all of these policies by executive order, is really terrifying and not constitutional. Like those we have this whole idea of a separation of powers where one side is making the laws, right? It's they're legislating, and the other side is executing. But they're executing the law; they don't get to just make the law whatever they want. And what, one revealing thing was in this discussion of Build Back Better, which I think should have been called uh, Make Everything Worse. <laughs> you know, Gina McCarthy said, "Hey, you know, if this doesn't get passed, don't worry because we're going to interpret the Clean Air Act and all these things to make it happen." And you're just thinking, wait a second, you have the power to interpret the existing law to mean a total overhaul of the American economy. I mean, overhaul is a euphemism, like the total destruction of the American economy. And by the way, we also think that we can just sign treaties and not call them treaties. Like the Paris Agreement says, we need to totally change our entire economy. And that's not a treaty. The Senate doesn't have to ratify it. So we have this total abuse of federal power. And I really hope the Supreme Court takes a stand.
0: There really is. The process is important and it exists for a reason. Um, before we let you go here, because I know your book is out, it's doing really well. And, you know, it's being very well received, which I think is is, is a really- not, not
3: according to the New York Times, though, even <laughs> no. though it, it outsold every book on their list but one, it didn't make the top 15, even though it outsold some of them by a factor of
0: five. That's incredible. They did the same thing to Glenn Beck with his- Latest book, a it, big it, surprise. Uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, it, I will say, and I've mentioned this before. When we were first starting to write books with Glenn, uh, one of his first books came out, and we were number two, and we had outsold the number one book, and we were so mad about it. Now, you could be the number one book, and they'll That'd just leave amazing. you off the look. They'll leave you off the list completely. It's fascinating to see it happen.
3: I made up a new term, which is New York Times outseller. So I'm, I'm number two on the New York Times outseller,
0: out-seller list. list. Congratulations. That's a great one. I love that. Um, uh, but so Alex, for people who don't necessarily, maybe they didn't read uh, moral case for fossil fuels or, or, or your previous work, kind of give an outline on, because, you know, one of the things that I think is important is that there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. That's what everyone always talks about. And, and the trade-off for this supposed environmental future is it's at the cost of human flourishing. And that, 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 The good that has come from fossil fuels, as opposed to what could come uh, as a negative from this big transition that we're going to have is something I know you talk a lot about. Can you kind of walk people through the thesis of the book?
3: Sure. Although it occurs to me I don't really love that expression. There's something true to it, but in a sense, a solution is anything where the positives outweigh the negatives. Or as I talk about it, the benefits outweigh the side effects. So would you say, well, there's no solution to polio. There's only trade-offs? Well, the polio vaccine and, you know, subsequent <laughs> versions, that was a really good solution and so, but the the truth of that statement so there's something i don't like but there's something i like which is that you look at trade-offs so the way i think of it is you look at fossil fuels like you would look at a prescription drug you carefully weigh the benefits and the side effects. And I think the cause of today's energy crisis, why we've restricted fossil fuels so mercilessly, is we've been taught by our leading thinkers to ignore the benefits of fossil fuels to human flourishing. And those benefits are are huge. So it's things like having modern agriculture where one worker can do the work that 1,000 used to be able to do. It's having these magical machines that no number of human beings used to be able to replicate, such as an incubator that saves countless millions of lives. And yet those don't exist in much of the world because they don't have reliable electricity. And so I think when you look at the benefits of fossil fuels, they far, far outweigh the side effects. And maybe the most important thing for people to get is this is especially true in climate. People think of it as, oh, well, energy makes our environment worse. But it has other benefits. And I don't think of it that way at all. I think nature, energy rather, makes nature a much better environment. And climate is example number one. We used to have just millions and millions of climate-related disaster deaths because the natural climate is so dangerous, so hostile, so difficult to deal with. And now we've had a 98% decline in climate-related disaster deaths over the last century, in large part because we've had all these amazing fossil-fueled machines that heat us when it's cold, right? That cool us when it's hot, that allow us to irrigate and alleviate drought. that allow us to bring food from where it is uh, to where it isn't. We just have all these amazing machines that are making us so safe from climate. And yet we think we have a climate catastrophe. And, And sort of the root of all of this is the reason we're ignoring the benefits is because our leading thinkers aren't thinking about Their goal isn't advancing human flourishing on Earth, and so they don't really think of all the benefits of fossil fuels as benefits, they think of them as impositions on the Earth. They think that our whole civilization that's supporting eight billion people, that that's just wrong. We shouldn't be impacting the Earth, we shouldn't be impacting the climate, and so they focus on these disastrous scenarios to scare us away from doing it, but really, they know fossil fuels are really good for us. They just don't think the focus should be on us. They think it should be on an unimpacted planet, which is really just hatred of humans, uh, because it just means you're singling out humans as the worst thing in nature, and you want to see them disappear as much as possible.
0: Mm, it's And it's amazing. I mean, you talk about 98% drought and climate-related uh, deaths. I mean, in any other context, that would be a miracle. I mean, people would be talking yeah. about it like people well, talk about polio, right, and the vaccine. And we
3: got to we gotta change that. Like, I think of it as we're not in a climate crisis, we're in a climate renaissance and and one thing you don't want to do i know you like the term arguing to zero and you've you've brought it up recently you actually caught me you actually taught me a version of it last time Uh um is you know you think about like the, the usual response is well fossil fuels are like they're good they're they're like sort of bad climate wise of course they're bad climate wise but they're not as bad as you think Mm -hmm. right versus no fossil fuels are good climate wise they enable us to master climate and that's the thing that matters most how much of an ability do you have to master climate because if you don't have an ability to master climate climate will be dangerous it'll be ruinous and if you do not only are the negatives of climate diminished but you can even turn them into positives like Mm -hmm. i like going snowboarding in Utah right? That used to be a very negative environment. Now it's a positive environment that I have to pay quite a bit of money uh, to go to. And so it's just, we need to think of climate in a modern way where we're masters of climate, not in a primitive way of 5,000 years ago, where we're afraid of climate. And we think that if we have a climate problem, it's because we offended the climate gods.
0: Well, I could talk to you all day about this. And I will say coming in out of 107 degree uh, Texas weather into 70 degree air conditioning made me think master of climate is better. We'll get into this more though. Next time we talk, Uh, Alex Epstein, and founder and CEO of the Center for Industrial Progress. His newest book is Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Coal, o- uh, Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. Make sure to grab a copy today. I guarantee you're going to want this. You're going to refer back to it a million times every time you're talking to your friends about these types of, to- of topics. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Mate. There's a lot of effort in the media lately to tell you things are getting better. And look, good God, I hope they are. Okay, we've gone through a rough period here, tons of inflation. I hope that is in the middle of turning around. We've seen a slight turnaround in the gas prices. And you just got to be it's just a little weird to take a victory lap of your own when you're saying, well, the gas price is down 20 cents to four dollars and 80 cents. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it was 5.02 on June 14th. Now it's $4.80. It is down a little bit. The oil price is down a little bit. And the problem with that is it seems like the oil price is down only because of a predicted recession that's around the corner. We hope that's not true, of course, but it very well might be. And it's fascinating to watch. So many in the media with all of this stuff going on, they're talking about January 6th, they're talking about abortion, they're talking about uh, everything else that you can possibly uh, think of except for the inflation crisis. They're talking about climate change. Climate change is the big story. And it's interesting to see them push that narrative when we're in the middle of $5 a gallon, sorry, $4.80 a gallon gasoline. People are looking at the gas price going crazy. It's burning families. Add on top of that inflation and all the costs associated with that. And we're looking at a really tough time for so many families. And yet the left and the elite in the elites in the media are coming back to you and saying, hey, you know, this is the time to fix our uh, international temperatures. What if we turn the globe temperature down a little bit? Has anyone thought of that one yet? Paul Krugman always directly in touch with you and I, the American people, has a, an opinion piece out, Another Step Toward Climate Apocalypse. This, of course, is dealing with the EPA uh, versus West Virginia uh, decision that came down a couple weeks ago. We, we covered it in depth on a show I guess uh, last Friday, maybe. Um, and it, it going, this is basically something about how the administrative state can't just make up all the rules on their own. They can't just make up all the rules on their own. They can't just take a vague reference to air and turn it into a way to control the entire economy. That's just a step too far. If you want to control the entire economy, you may have some constitutional concerns here and there, but the ver- at the very least you need to write a law. You need to actually go through Congress and vote on it. You can't just blame the EPA for all the negative effects. So, this is sort of the situation that's going on. The left hates this idea because they've t- you've taken away all their tools. They've come through and decided a different way of, go- of doing business here in America, which is we just give all the power to the EPA and we let them do whatever we want them to do. We appoint all the people in there. We tell them just go out there, say the science is settled and force it down everybody's throat. Krugman, of course, is uh, out there talking about this, and he does not like the rulings from the Supreme Court. He says, anyone who believes the recent series of blockbuster court rulings reflects any consistent legal theory is being willfully naive. Clearly, the way this court interprets the law is almost entirely determined by what serves Republican interests. If states wanna ban abortion, well, that's their prerogative. I've got news for you here, uh, Paul. If you were just basing this off of what Republicans wanted, they just would have made abortion illegal nationwide. That's not what they did. They took the power out of their hands. This is something that someone who works at The New York Times will never understand. They decided to take the power out of the hands of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court stepped in when most of the states had passed laws banning abortion completely and said, now everyone must have it. Okay. then we went through another Uh, What? uh, 20 years. And then Casey uh, and that decision came down and they said, well, I know we screwed up with Roe, but let's give you a totally different uh, arbitrary line that we can now argue. And you still all have to have abortion in every single state, taking the power completely out of the state's hands to legislate or honestly, even the federal government's hands to legislate. And then this Supreme Court stepped up and said, you know what? That's not our job. Our job is not to dictate to everybody else and come up with these arbitrary lines for everyone else to follow. It should be in your hands. They didn't go as far as I'd want them to go, which is to say, hey, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For any of those three things, you need to be alive. So we're gonna come out and say, maybe uh, you should be born if, you, if there's a pregnancy that occurs. I would like it to be banned nationwide. They didn't go to my my happy place. They went to the in-between place. They went to the moderate place, where now we can have these arguments and base them on uh, your state. That's not the ultimate solution to me, but it is better than the case was before, unless you're Paul Krugman. He also went on about the uh, EPA situation, which is taking the power away from the EPA and a lot of these other federal agencies. It's not just about the EPA. This is gonna be a pretty wide-ranging decision, I believe. But Krugman writes, the question is how did letting the planet burn become a key GOP tenant? It wasn't always thus. Could you be any more elitist? The Environmental Protection Agency, one whose scope of the court action just moved to limit, was created by none other than Richard Nixon, who was uh, progressive and and very strongly pushed for centralized government power, also considered banning all handguns. This guy was not exactly the uh, the modern equivalent of a small government. Um, anyway, the, as late as 2008, John McCain, the Republican nominee for president, ran on a promise to impose cap and trade to limit greenhouse gas emissions. Now, of course, cap and trade, you might remember, is a very complicated uh, economic scheme to limit uh, the emissions from power plants and everything else. And then, uh, but if you go over those limits, you can buy credits from other companies who are under the limits. It was a very complicated system. Uh, John McCain wanted to implement it along with his close economic advisors. And I thought to myself, I wonder what Paul Krugman was saying about John McCain and his economic prowess back when he actually was running for president and could have implemented this scheme. Here's what he said. Then there's frightening Mr. McCain, more frightening now than he was a few weeks ago. We've known for a long time, of course, that Mr. McCain doesn't know much about economics. He said so himself, although he's denied having said it, that wouldn't matter too much if he had good taste in advisors, but he doesn't. I mean, these people have absolutely no credibility whatsoever. Now, you know climate is somewhat of a divisive issue, and if you wanted, if you wanted someone who was gonna step in and try to move the climate needle into the way of hardcore left-wing philosophy, John McCain would have been a dream for you. If it really was the most important issue of your day, then John McCain would have been a dream for you. Why? Well, if you wanna move something that's really controversial, a lot of times, if you get someone from the opposite party, who agrees with you, that's when you get that movement. An example of this is criminal justice reform. It was something that Republicans fought against for a very long time. Donald Trump was very open to it. When they went to Donald Trump, people like Van Jones and Kim Kardashian went to J- Donald Trump and said, hey, can you move the needle on this? And he did, right? Donald Trump believed in it. It was basically a, a, a liberal tenant, and he went along with it. He, he It was something he supported, and they moved the ball pretty significantly on that. John McCain, could have moved the ball on climate because a lot of Republicans would have gone along with John McCain if he was president of the United States. Instead, people like Krugman were bashing him as having no knowledge about the economy. Another thing he wanted to do that would have really moved the ball on the climate was build, I think it was 500 nuclear plants in this country so that we wouldn't have to rely anymore on fossil fuels on the Middle East. There was a national security concern there and also a global warming concern there. And you know what happened? Everybody on the left, the environmentalists, opposed John McCain and said nuclear power is incredibly dangerous and evil and awful. Well, that is actually starting to turn now. The tide is starting to turn. They've seen enough here of the renewables. They've seen this isn't really working out uh, is it quite yet. The technology's not there. This is going to take a lot longer than they thought. But the technology is there with nuclear power. It's power that is homegrown. Uh, We have it here. It's safe. It's effective. The new generations of nuclear power can be incredibly inexpensive when not constantly berated with all sorts of regulation all the time. You need some, of course, with uh, nuclear power. But uh, if you can open up new plants and generate more power, this could actually not only help our energy independence, it can also help the energy the energy independence needs, uh, if you will, going forward when we are supposed to all be on electric cars. I mean, forget the fact that they want to implement them. Uh, most of these companies are saying, well, that's all we're going to build come 2030. It's all going to be new uh, electric cars. So with all that as the sort of foundation, There are people now on the left changing their minds on nuclear power, driven by the difficulty of meeting clean energy goals and by surging electricity demands. A growing number of political leaders are taking a fresh look at nuclear power, both extending the life of existing reactors and building new ones. Even past skeptics, largely Democrats, have come around to the idea, notably in California, where the state's sole remaining nuclear plant, Diablo Canyon, is scheduled to close in 2025. The search for clean energy has given nuclear power a spark that has drawn bipartisan support that added Billions in funding for existing and new projects. Welcome to the fantastic party. You know, we've been saying this for a really long time and been ignored by the left and the media, who said it was some weird fever dream we just loved, I don't know, irradi- radiating people to death. Uh, So for whatever reason, that has been blown off by the media for so long. Now, all of a sudden, people are coming around. We're seeing this in Europe as well, where they're talking about making nuclear power more ESG friendly because the ESG investments have pushed all of the nuclear thought away. Now they want to change that so that people will start investing in nuclear power again. Just next time, just listen to us from like 15 years ago we're going to save a lot of time and a lot of effort if you just would have listened back then. Of course, we say this stuff all the time. And it really, the answer for the left so often is not solar panels. It's not wind power. It's not hydropower. It's not nuclear power. It's none of those things. There is only one solution to our climate troubles. And normally, this is the type of thing that is left unset. They'll allude to it. They'll say it here and there, but they never really admit it. I want to give you an example of someone who's saying the quiet part out loud. It's Bill Nye. Bill Nye says the main thing you can do about climate change isn't recycling, it's voting. What a surprise. He said, but if you wanna do one thing about climate change, vote. And if you're a kid and you can't vote, make sure your parents vote. Hassle them. Well, nothing I need more than uh, more hassling from children. I think a lot of people will really appreciate that advice. Thanks a lot, Bill. And you know, there's nothing I'm going to do Um, at a slower pace than agree with your voting idea when you sick my kids on me. (laughs) Nobody likes that. Just so you're aware, nobody likes that. That being said, this is... Of course, the implied uh, voting interest here is to vote for Democrats. They're the ones that want do what Bill Nye says needs to be done when it comes to the climate. And this is just yet another example of the circle of grift. Just vote for Democrats. Why would you vote for Democrats? Well, they're going to solve the climate crisis. Now they're elected. Is it solved? No, it's even worse than before. Now what? We need to do something. What do we do? Vote Democrat. Why? Well, we got to solve the climate crisis. Well, is it solved? No, it's worse than before. Now what? We need to do something. What do we do? Vote Democrat. Why? To solve the climate crisis. Is it solved? No, it's even worse than before. Now what? We got to do something. What do we do? Vote Democrat. And on and on and on and on. The circle of grift never ends. Look, the truth is the left has spent the last half century creating a completely new form of government. They build up the administrative state. They make it huge and powerful. They write laws in a vague way that assign decision-making power, not to the Congress when they're passing the laws, but to the administrative state. They'll all deal with it. And when the administrative state does overstep its bounds, which it always does, well, look, the Supreme Court will be there to say it's super-duper constitutional and bail them out. This way, you don't have to like take responsibility for your decisions that ruin the economy. The administrative state can do it for you and no one gets to vote them out. This works really well until you lose control of the Supreme Court, which has happened now. And Paul Krugman and nobody, everybody on the left, they hate this. They don't like that their little scheme has been broken up. It's interesting how much the left says they love democracy, but when given the opportunity to utilize it, they want to blow up the entire system. The Supreme Court didn't make a new law on abortion, at least not in 2022. That happened back in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. They decided to force a solution on the country in lieu of a democratic norm and a legislative process and policy. And now the Supreme Court has returned the right of representative democracy in the states to take action and form laws. And the democracy-loving left hates it. With the EPA ruling, the same concept has occurred. Congress is supposed to make the laws that might regulate an economy if if they must. The Supreme Court took the power away from the administrative state and gave it back to representative democracy. They uh, They have a right here to do that. They have to say what they want when they pass a law. Yes, Congress, you need to actually say what you want done before you vote on it. They can't just depend on unelected bureaucrats to make all of their decisions for them. We see this with the EPA. We saw this with abortion. We definitely, definitely saw it with COVID. These agencies are not supposed to be the ones ruining your lives. That's the job of Congress.